0: Welcome
1: to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hanson. And with our co-host, Earl Erskine, who is with us again tonight. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming again. We will be discussing polygamy. And we are here on Thursday nights to talk about polygamy, yep. biblical times, early Mormon times, Joseph Smith's polygamy, contemporary polygamy. We just generally talk about it all. Uh, We want to remind our viewers that this television station may soon be sold, and when the sale becomes final, the present programming will no longer be broadcast from TV20. But by telling you this, uh, we hope to stop rumors before they start, and we know rumors can start when it begins. But we do want you to know, too, that we will not stop broadcasting our message to this culture, and we'll be providing more details, too, as they are made known. Because so much truth has been made public on the internet and brought to light Mormonism's previously hidden secrets, we know the power of information that the internet provides. So we will not discontinue our show, but we'll simply transition to internet-based broadcasting. And we will, like I said, keep you updated on the progress or lack of progress on this possible transition. Last week, A caller called in during the call time and asked the question, when God became a man, when he came to earth in Jesus Christ, why did he come as a male? Of course, all of our answers are found in the Bible, and so we have the answer tonight. I told her we would look into it, and so tonight we have the answer. Well, Adam was created first, and he was a male. So his was the responsibility, he was the head or the representative of all the descendants of the human race. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, it was Eve who sinned first by disobeying God. But Adam was the one who was held responsible for bringing sin into God's creation, not Eve. And we read from Romans 5.12,
0: yeah, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned.
1: So it says there, one man, by one man sin entered in the world, although it was Eve who brought in the right. sin to start with. And this, of course, demonstrates male representation of the human race before God. But it does not represent male superiority over female. God gave humans the responsibility to rule and to subdue his creation, but he did not give a command to humans to rule over and subjugate other humans, male or female. The first man, Adam, sinned. Jesus came to undo what Adam did and then to do what Adam was supposed to have done to begin with, and so Jesus is called the second Adam. He was therefore a male like Adam. We read in 1 Corinthians 15.
0: Yeah, two different verses actually. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. And thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit.
1: So Adam would be the representative of, of the human race mm-hmm. um, and of all sinners. And Jesus came as the representative, as a second Adam, as a representative of all believers. He became our substitute, dying on the cross to pay for the sins of everyone who will trust in him alone. He did perfectly what Adam failed to do. He resisted the devil's temptation and lived a sinless life. And so his righteous life is then given or credited to us as a gift if we will trust him and him alone for eternal life. If we add anything to it, that then we're not under His representative head. The first Adam was male, so the Redeemer, the second Adam, was also male. One other comment from a viewer of this uh, about this question was that if Jesus had been born a female, he couldn't have taught in the synagogues in the That's Jewish true. synagogues, yeah, and so uh, and Jesus taught very frequently from the Jewish synagogue. So that would be another reason. But we do hope this answers our viewers' questions. In the beginning, God made male and female as equal beings, and he didn't change his mind. Early Mormonism came along and laid the foundation for inequality and subjugation of women in their religion. This oppression and enslavement is more profound in polygamy, where inequality is their way of life. In a book written by Richard S. Van Wagener entitled Mormon Polygamy, we read from page three.
0: Smith's theology of marriage and family two may have drawn on ancient Israelite traditions. Like the biblical patriarchs of old, Mormon males, empowered with priesthood, were entitled to receive divine guidance in family matters. Women, on the other hand, were denied both priesthood and hierarchic position. This Old Testament focus evidently also drew Smith to the idea of biblical polygamy as part of the restitution of all things.
1: Well, there's many things that have that were said in this comment that we're going to talk about yeah. that is so off. off base first of all joseph smith did not restore all things it is jesus who restores everything joseph smith has no part in it it wasn't joseph smith who died on the cross for our sins he wasn't resurrected nor did he ascend to heaven jesus restores not joseph we read in acts 321
0: he jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets.
1: Joseph Smith's not part of it. No, Jesus Christ is. Next, Joseph Smith's teachings on marriage and family found no tradition in ancient uh, ancient Israel as that statement said. The Israelites did not believe in the pre-existent. They did not believe in eternal families or eternal marriage. Nor was it theologically correct to practice polygamy. Now polygamy was a cultural thing but it was not a God thing. And we all know that culture can very often be very wrong. Now, regarding what Joseph Smith evidently believed concerning the priesthood, it certainly wasn't taken from ancient Israel, where only the sons of Aaron could be priests. The priesthood belonged exclusively and forever to the family of Aaron. Those who served in the priesthood or in the temple were required to be Levites. Absolutely no one else could serve there. Only those from the line of Aaron could be priests, and there was always only one high priest at a time, and he served until he died. Then another one became the only high priest who served until his death, and so on it went. In the quote that we read, it said that in biblical times, women were denied both priesthood and hierarchic position. Now, this statement is dreadfully misleading. First of all, it wasn't just women who didn't have the priesthood. The fact is, every single male and every single female who wasn't from the family of Aaron was denied the priesthood. And as for the comment that women in biblical times were denied hierarchic position and only the patriarchs received divine guidance, in fact, In family matters, there are several Old Testament examples of God speaking to and directly guiding women. Let's look at a few (laughs) places where women received personal guidance from God. First of all, God spoke directly to Eve in the Garden of Eden. And God spoke directly to Rebekah, Isaac's wife. By the way, Isaac only had one wife, and that was Rebekah. And this is Genesis 25.
0: Yeah, this is Rebekah. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger.
1: So there God is talking directly to a woman. My goodness. Now what about (laughs) Samson's mother, who was a female?
0: This is out of Judges (laughs) chapter 13. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her.
1: So again, Again. we we see God communicating directly to a female. What about Deborah? We read in Judges.
0: Yeah, chapter 4. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim and the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided.
1: Wow! Wow! <laughs> that's a that's a big time job. <laughs> yeah. The Israelites were facing uh, the armies of the Canaanites who were oppressing them, and so war with them was imminent. And it was a woman, Deborah, who led Israel and led their armies into battle. God does not hesitate, nor is He ashamed yeah. to put women in leadership positions. Let's read some more verses.
0: In Judges 4 again, Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Over to
1: a woman, (laughs) how about that? Now, what about Ruth? You know, there's an entire book yeah. dedicated to her, and her name is in the lineage to King David and ultimately to Jesus Christ. Another book, Esther, was a female in a highly influential position whose obedience to God turned the heart of the king and uh, so that she was able to totally be involved in saving her people who were facing annihilation. And then there's Hulda, a prophetess, whom God spoke to directly on on behalf of Israel, Second Chronicles.
0: Yeah, I apologize in advance for any of the mispronunciations <laughs> here. Ilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophetess Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokath. The son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe she lived in Jerusalem in the second district she said to them this is what the Lord the God of Israel says
1: so not only did God speak to her
0: she was speaking for she him she spoke <laughs> for
1: him to the people yeah. Okay, that's a pretty high position for a female. And we have another one. M- uh, Miriam, who was Moses, and Aaron's sister was also a prophetess, Exodus 15.
0: Yeah, it says prophetess. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing.
1: Okay, yeah. and and prophetesses could dance, too. <laughs> yes, I guess. <laughs> and the prophet Isaiah's wife, was also a prophetess. In
0: Isaiah 8 it says then I went to the prophetess and she conceived and gave birth to a son.
1: So we need to reject all the false teachings that women are not equal with men, that God won't use women or speak directly to women, that Mormon or polygamous male patriarchy is more divine than gender equality. God does not show favoritism.
0: And we've got three verses from the New Testament. It says in Acts 10, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. And in Romans, for God does not show favoritism. And again in Ephesians, and there is no favoritism with him.
1: So Joseph Smith did not pattern anything after the Old Testament Israelite way at all. Early Mormonism laid the foundation for inequality and subjugation of female below the male, which is precisely what polygamy accomplishes. Although some polygamous women will deny unequal treatment, those who have the courage to get out of polygamy always agree that their voices or the de- their desires meant little or nothing in the polygamous group. Their pregnancies and their works were all that mattered. We're going to talk a little bit from a book entitled Kingdom in the West, the Mormons and the American Frontier, Volume 9. It's Doing the Works of Abraham, Mormon Polygamy. We find some very good historical information about early Mormonism and what they called Doing the Works of Abraham, which was polygamy. The book is edited by B. Carmen Hardy and Will Bagley. And Will Bagley was on our guest, a a guest on our show several years ago uh, with a very good interview. But at any rate, on page 125 of the book we read what early Mormon and polygamist <coughs> Charles W Penrose said.
0: Wow. <laughs> Associated with patriarchal authority was the assumption that women possessed lesser capacities than men and Mormon leaders addressed the subject emphatically. <laughs> as Charles W Penrose put it, man as a sex by reason of greater physical and mental strength is placed by nature above women in the scale of being.
1: Woo, above women. (laughs) There, see, that's what we see all the time in Mormonism. As you can see, they taught in inequality of women that females are on a lower scale than men. Now, men may have greater physical strength, but we beg to differ that they have greater (laughs) mental strength. From page 105, again, we read what Brigham Young said.
0: Oh, this is choice. (laughs) Women will will be more easily saved than men. They have not sense enough to go far wrong. Men have more knowledge and more power. Therefore, they can go more quickly and more certainly to hell. In no case should wives aspire to inspiration or authority equal to that of husbands and male leaders of the church.
1: And so it's kind of strange (laughs) that God called a woman to be the leader of Israel, yet Mormonism claims women can't be in a leadership position. They did, and they still do consider women of lesser value than men. Equality of women remains a problem in all of Mormonism to this day. God gave equality and equal authority to women he did not give equal responsibility to male and female alike, but that does not indicate women are less equal. Actually, God God gave the male the brunt of the responsibility. And for Brigham Young to say that women aren't smart enough to go to hell, we must remember that he's the same person who said there were Quaker-like men living on the moon. And so we can just consider the source and know that he wasn't a prophet. (laughs) In fact, biblical illiteracy has caused all kinds of theological error in our world. Mormonism does not properly discern what the Bible teaches, and it will, and it all began with Joseph Smith, and we will see some examples in Do- Do- Doctrine and Covenants section 132.
0: Yeah, right to begin with, verses 1 and 2. Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph, that inasmuch as you have inquired of my hand to know and understand wherein I, the Lord, justified justified my servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants, as touching the principle and doctrine of their having many wives and concubines, behold and lo, I am the Lord thy God and will answer thee as touching this matter.
1: Okay, this is lots of stuff here we could do, but we're only (laughs) going to do some of it. It's obvious that Joseph Smith used a few Old Testament characters to justify his own sexual promiscuity. Very often in the polygamous culture, both then and now, we hear the phrase, doing the works of Abraham, which they taught is the practice of plural marriage. Verse 1 says that Joseph Smith inquired of God about polygamy. My question is, why did he inquire of God about it? God had already spoken and recorded in the Bible very clearly about sexual immorality, adultery, polygamy, and monogamy. Once God has spoken about a matter, it's settled. We don't need to ever ask him again about it because he never changes his mind. Was Joseph Smith so bent on his own lusts of the flesh that he inquired of God for real? Or did he just use that as a believable excuse for having been caught in his own adulterous affairs? Hmm. Joseph Smith claimed that God credited polygamy to Abraham for righteousness. Obviously, Joseph Smith assumed that this would make him look righteous in his own polygamy. We read more from 132.
0: This is really powerful logic, so I hope the folks will follow this closely. In verses 29, Abraham received all things whatsoever he received by revelation and commandment, by my word, saith the Lord, and hath entered into his exaltation, and sitteth upon his throne. This promise is yours also, because ye are of Abraham, and the promise was made unto Abraham, and by this law is the continuation of the works of my Father, wherein he glorifieth himself. Go ye therefore, and do the works of Abraham. Enter ye into my law, and ye shall be saved. So here, mm.
1: Joseph Smith is having God <coughs> command us to do the works of Abraham in order to be saved.
0: Yeah, that's what it says. And
1: the works of Abraham is polygamy. Now, we've got to use the context as we discuss this passage, any passage actually, and the context of section 132 is the law of plural marriage, or as they called it, the new and everlasting covenant. It was also called the priesthood. Now Joseph Smith claimed that God commanded and Sarah gave Abraham Hagar, her maid, because it was the law. Joseph Smith claimed it was the law and and was how God's promises were fulfilled. Let's read verse 37.
0: Abraham received concubines, and they bore him children, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness.
1: Very clearly, he is saying that his wives and concubines and the family he had with them was his righteousness. Now, let's read the context of Abraham's righteousness from Genesis of the Bible.
0: Chapter 15, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord.
1: Believed the Lord. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't because he lived polygamy that God credited righteousness to him, but because he believed the Lord. It says so very clearly in verse 6. God credited Ab- righteousness to Abraham because he believed God, not because Abraham took Hagar in their faithless scheme to have a child. Joseph Smith lied about Hagar and even in his own version of the Bible Joseph Smith did not record that God commanded Abraham to take Hagar. Read it for yourself in Genesis chapter 16. Rob Bowman wrote an excellent article about this on uh, IRR.org. We quote his response to Joseph Smith's claims about Abraham's righteousness.
0: He said, God declared Abram righteous because of his faith that God would bless him with posterity. Abram's act of taking Hagar was not an act of righteousness, but an act of moral weakness showing that he needed righteousness as a gift of God's grace.
1: And so it was just the opposite. What Joseph Smith was claiming was, in reality, just the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Doing the works of Abraham is not plural marriage, but it's Abraham's belief and trust in God. His faith in God's promises and God's gift of righteousness to Abraham as a result of his faith. Plural marriage has nothing to do with it. Now, we want to read another comment made by Brigham Young
0: why do we believe in and practice polygamy because the lord introduced it to his servants in a revelation given to joseph smith and the lord's servants have always practiced it and is that religion popular in heaven It is the only popular religion there, for this is the religion of Abraham. And unless we do the works of Abraham, we are not Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise.
1: So again, we can see there that the works of Abraham is living polygamy. Brigham Young brought that forward as well. We heard it all the time in the polygamy group. Brigham Young's heaven is not the biblical heaven. There are no marriages in heaven. Jesus said so. There is no polygamy in heaven. The works of Abraham is having faith and trust in God. And those who believe and teach otherwise will have no place in God's heaven. The Bible clearly says we're saved by grace through faith and not by works. Now we have a quote. Uh, from an early Mormon his name is Orson Spencer um, and he wrote about patriarchal order which of course is the plurality of wives in 1853 he wrote this.
0: The Almighty actually visited this husband of two wives and went into a discussion of his family and domestic concerns. What did he say about his family matters? Did he say Abraham beware of a carnal mind? Beware of the lust for women? no sir i repeat it no sir he said no such thing he virtually said this to abraham i don't know where he gets this right
1: Uh, i don't know either abraham
0: i find no fault with your taking two wives but on the other hand i bless you for it and i bless you for doing it and i bless them in becoming your wives i bless you and your wife sarah with the strength and joy of your youth you shall have a son you shall not only have a son but you shall have even nations of sons and daughters. Your wife Hagar also shall be greatly blessed among women for what she has done. What she has done kingdom potentates and even nations shall be among her offspring. And Sarah, seeing she had faith to Hagar to you to give Hagar to you to wife shall herself even yet have a son, notwithstanding her age. And your posterity shall be as the dust of the earth for number and multitude, and as the sands upon the seashore."
1: Now, like you said, we don't know where he got this from. It's all nonsense, <laughs> yeah. really. There, there's no scriptural writings to indicate this conversation took place between God and Abraham. It's not in Joseph Smith's translation. It's not in the Bible. It's just pure dribble. And God never praised Abraham for taking Hagar to wife, or to bed. Early Mormon teachers taught that the promise of Abraham was the covenant of eternal life through good works which included polygamy, and this is not true. And we're going to let Romans chapter four explain the truth of faith and works of Abraham.
0: Now this is powerful. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Very good. Yeah, that was important to it, me when I came out of it, the church.
1: <laughs> very important. Eternal life comes only to those whom God justifies from their sins. This verse clearly tells us that it does not come from works, that Abraham's faith was his righteousness. Romans 11 also confirms this.
0: Yeah, and if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were grace, it would no longer be grace
1: so it can't be both it's never both works and grace if it's works then you have to be 100 percent perfect from the day you're born to the day you die but that's why we need grace it's not works and grace the works of abraham was believing god so that through grace god gave him his gift of righteousness and eternal life and that is precisely the same way god gives eternal life to everyone who gets it Romans four, six through
0: eight. Again, this is so good. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of, of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him
1: that's being blessed isn't it when god justifies us it means that he will never count our sins against us there's only one way that that can happen to any one of us and that's by grace through faith and not by works polygamous you don't have to do this you can leave polygamy you don't have to do this it's not required by god we have more from romans chapter 4
0: It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by faith are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless.
1: Promise is worthless if it's not by faith. Clearly, religious law has no value in receiving God's promises of forgiveness and eternal life. Eternal life is given only through the righteousness that comes by faith. We read that over and over again. And this faith is not faith in whatever you want the truth to be. The the object of our faith is just as important as faith itself. And that object must be the biblical Jesus and his gospel and nothing and no one else. Polygamy and Joseph Smith and Mormonism are all excluded. Now the next verse kind of sums it all up pretty well. It sure
0: does. Again from Romans 4. Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all.
1: So the promise is by faith faith in the true God and his biblical testimony. It is 100% by grace and is God's guarantee to all who will follow in the faith of Abraham. It's all of Jesus, faith in him alone, and only those who believe God and his word are saved by God's grace. Now, we had something that we wanted to share. I don't think we have time to do this. We were going to compare uh, the works of Abraham with the works of Joseph Smith. uh, But we are at the time right now to take our mid-show break. And if we have time later in the show, we'll share it. Otherwise, shared, we'll, we'll bring it on in another, another show. Yeah. But at any rate, we want you to know that the comparison that we want to share with you is actually devastating to Joseph Smith anyway. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we will open up our telephones right now. Our phone number is 801-973-8820. 973-TV-20. We'd love to hear from you. If you have comments or questions, give us a call. And while we're waiting for the phone calls to come in, we do have our message to share with you.
2: You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at TV at AboutPolygamy.com We have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website www.WhatLoveIsThis.TV While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program which can stream on demand directly to your computer. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, Recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen.
1: Welcome back to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? And with our co-host Earl Erskine tonight, we've been talking about male-female equality as Mormonism presents it, and uh, compared that with the way God created it to be on an equal basis. And we've also been talking about the early Mormons started by Joseph Smith. the works of Abraham, they called polygamy, which the polygamy groups today still call it. In fact, you know, the, most every polygamy group has a nickname for their group and they call it the work. The work. The work. And they'll call it this work or the work, and it's always referring to their polygamy group and what they're doing. And it comes from the works of Abraham, which we have just discovered biblically is not a biblical concept at all, nor is polygamy. Now, we have our telephone lines open. Our number is 801-973-8820. We'd love it if you'd give us a call and discuss anything that's on your mind or on your heart uh, or ask any question that you might have. Now, when we started the show tonight, my opening question was, how many legs does a cow have? Well, so what's that got to do with anything? What's that got to do with polygamy? Actually, last week, while I was listening to AM 820 radio, someone was talking about an argument that, and I'm sure, I'm pretty sure it was Abraham Lincoln, that he had had with an antagonist. And getting nowhere with him, Lincoln stopped and asked him the question how many legs does a cow have? Well, the man said, four legs. Lincoln said, if we say the cow's tail is a leg, then how many legs does the cow have? The man answered that the cow would have five legs. Lincoln said, wrong. The cow still has four legs. Just because we say say that the tail is a leg doesn't mean that the tail is a leg. No matter what we call it, it's still a tail. And I thought, what an appropriate analogy for this culture. They redefine biblical words and they, they put the wrong definition and the wrong interpretation on things and their concept. They, would, they have radically changed terminology just as sure as the man called the cow's tail a leg. They can call something anything they want, but that doesn't make it true. Teaching that polygamy is God's command and is necessary for eternal life doesn't make it true. You can call it what you want, but it's still a tail. Teaching that there are three heavens doesn't make it true. The Bible says there's only one heaven. Teaching religious works for eternal life or works plus grace doesn't make it true when the Bible places a curse on works. The cow's tail is not a leg, no matter what you call it. So I thought I would share that, that <laughs> and let's, let's not get mixed up. Let's go straight to the source and find out what God calls it and then you'll be closer to the truth. Well, our phone lines are lit up, but yep. we don't have any coming through yet, so uh, let's, let's read this first email okay. and, um, and see what happens with that.
0: Hi Doris, can you please tell the viewers when Joseph was sealed to Emma? I think most Mormons think she was first. But if I'm not mistaken, she was one of the last. If sealing is so important, why would he have waited so long? We so appreciate you. May the Spirit of Truth CONTINUE TO BLESS AND GUIDE YOUR MINISTRY.
1: WELL, I THOUGHT THAT WAS AN IMPORTANT QUESTION. THAT'S A GOOD QUESTION. I THINK A LOT OF PEOPLE ARE SHOCKED WHEN THEY FIND OUT THE TRUTH ABOUT THIS. THE EARLY MORMON CHURCH LEADERS AND ALL OF THE POLYGAMISTS TODAY UNDERSTAND THAT DOCTRINE AND COVENANTS 132 IS GOD'S COMMAND FOR PLURAL MARRIAGE. IT WAS NOT AND IS NOT JUST ETERNAL MARRIAGE. 132 IS POLYGAMY polygamy was expected. It was a command. They taught that it was necessary for exaltation, plain and simple. In fact, Brigham Young even said, live polygamy or be damned. Now, the odd thing is that Emma, being Joseph Smith's first wife, you would think that he would have had her sealed to him first. But she wasn't sealed first or second or even the 10th. She wasn't even the 20th. Sealed to him. In fact, Emma and Joseph were not sealed until May 28, 1843. By then, Joseph Smith had already been sealed to over two dozen women. And to make it all even worse, Emma was required to accept her husband's plural marriage before she could receive her eternal sealing to him. Sounds like blackmail, doesn't it?
0: It does. Some prophet.
1: (laughs) Some prophet of God, that is.
0: Well, and he kept it hidden from her for so long as well.
1: Yeah, Uh, lied to her about it, to to, to her and the church.
0: And then then told her eventually that she would be damned or destroyed if she didn't accept it. That God would would, destroy
1: her if she didn't. Yeah, he really pulled tricks on her (laughs) with that. That's terrible. Well, we have a call come through here um on line two we have hal calling from ogden hello. hello hello you're you're on the air hal but you need to turn your volume down on your television
3: oh. hal
4: oh, just there, i'll do that <laughs> hello
1: hello turn. Turn your volume down, Hal, or we'll have to take another call. I have it off. Okay, we're getting some feedback there, so anyway, what's your okay, question? I
4: turned it off.
1: Okay, good. What's your question?
4: My question, dear heart, beautiful lady, is why do the Mormons not believe in the Trinity of God?
1: You know, every, every false Christian religious group denies the Trinity. They'll, de- they'll deny the divinity of Jesus and the trinity of God. Um, and, and the only thing I can say is it's just one of those doctrines that they can't, can't accept because they don't understand it. And Oh,
4: I know. They're so hard to get through. To. I'm a Christian.
1: Uh-huh.
4: I'm a Christian.
3: Good.
1: And I
4: live in a, in a retirement home that's filled with Mormons <laughs> who uh, show me lots of love but they they seem to be boasting about how how well they do with everything and that they they won't they won't admit that they're sinners.
0: No. We d- we don't like to do that as Mormons that we We're not perfect is what we say but we we never call ourselves sinners per, per se. It's, it's Is that right? Of, yeah, it's kind of interesting. But
4: Oh. And and by the way Bishop, Earl, yeah. I love you too and your program.
0: Thank you, Hal. Appreciate it. As far as the Trinity, one thing that was really compelling to me as I came out of the church was I began to believe more and more that Joseph Smith believed in, at least uh, I believed, a Christian God concept or the Trinity well after 1820, even into the 1830s, and then he changed his mind and evolved his beliefs so that... uh, Which I don't think most more, which of course counteracts the uh, 1820 experience that he said he had, Mm -hmm. the first vision. Yeah, it's all confusing. Yeah.
4: Well, well, dear hearts, I don't want to hold you up. You have other people that need to get on, and I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to be very unhappy when you're no longer on Channel 20.
1: Well, we're praying.
4: I've been watching (laughs) you for 10 years. (laughs) <laughs>
1: almost huh
4: almost yeah <laughs>
1: quite well Hal, we, we do appreciate your call um and uh, and your question too yeah thank you
4: and i know that god is sovereign yes. i know it by every word that comes out of the bible
1: and you have a great ministry there by the way hal
4: <laughs> yes i do <laughs> what a challenge
1: <laughs> yes yes
4: <laughs> well thank you dear
1: okay, thank you. Sh- sh- both. okay. thank you bless you both support thank you is Bye-bye. bye bye Okay, very interesting question. And um, so, y- so you didn't call yourself sinners.
0: Well, y- you, you, don't, you we don't say it that way. But we just, we just said we're not perfect. You know, it was kind of a. We just knew we weren't. We never said we were falling short. We never said we were. You know, we. I guess we knew we were sinners, but we didn't ever call us. At least I didn't, in my circles, ever say that we we knew we're sinners. You don't hear it from the pulpit.
1: Uh, I've heard. Um, some mormons especially the those that criticize biblical christianity that we put too much focus and emphasis on sin and sinners would you say christians do that? that christians do of course we do that's why jesus came for heaven's sakes
0: yeah we're mormon mormons and i'm sure polygamists too they're living the law and trying to do their best and and kind of grading themselves as they go along I think that's a reason for a lot of the guilt and a lot of the concerns yes. that people keep f- feeling like they're not doing as much as they should and not you know not and I'm sure there's a lot of guilt that goes with that but uh, you know we kind of play games with words mm-hmm. I think we've I think if you ask most Mormons, they feel pretty good about themselves. They feel like they're good people and that they're going to go to heaven. Well, based
1: good. on human standards, they are good people. We wouldn't yeah. argue with that at yeah. all. But based no. on what the Bible says, no. everyone is sinners. Yeah. Everyone has sinned yeah. and fallen short.
0: Yeah, they're not necessarily saved, but they're good.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but good. Yeah, that's not yeah. the that's not the, not the requirement no. for salvation that's right. at all. Okay, let's go um, to the next. Uh, part of this. And this, by the way, I got some of the answers for this from uh, a website i4m.com. And the question is, did Joseph Smith's father any children from his polygamous wives? Now, we get this question a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not the question, but the statement, uh, well, Joseph Smith's polygamy couldn't have been sexual because he didn't have any children. And, of course, the Book of Mormon says that's the only reason to have, to have polygamy. It's kind of
0: a it's kind of a tough position <laughs> they're in between a rock and a hard place, as they say, isn't it? They can't really have him having children, and yet on the other hand, that's the only reason to have the extra to have wives
1: polygamy. and exactly and
0: sexual affairs and so on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so we thought that we would do give you some quotes about Joseph Smith and children from his polygamous wife. The first one's going to be from State President Angus Cannon.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I will now refer you to one case where it was said by the girl's grandmother that your father, Joseph Smith, has a daughter, born of a plural wife. The girl's grandmother was Mother Sessions. She was the granddaughter of Mother Sessions. That girl, I believe, is living today in Bountiful, north of this city. I heard President Young, a short time before his death, refer to the report. The woman is now said to have a family of children, and I think she's still living.
1: Okay, so here we we have the possibility of a, a daughter uh, yeah. by Joseph Smith, and now we have faithful Mormon and wife of Joseph Smith, Sylvia Sessions, Lion, and on her deathbed told her daughter Josephine that she, <laughs> Josephine, was the daughter of Joseph Smith. And this is what Josephine said.
0: She, Sylvia, told me that I was the daughter of the prophet Joseph Smith. She having been sealed to the prophet at the time that her husband, Mr. Lyon, was out of fellowship with the church.
1: So here, Joseph Smith married a married woman.
0: Yeah. And
1: he had sex with this married woman who was married to, legally married to another man, and evidently had a child also by her. Uh, About Joseph Smith having children in her testimony given in 1905 statement. There's a faithful Mormon named Mary Elizabeth Rollins Leitner, and this is what she said about Joseph Smith having children.
0: I knew he had three children, they told me. I think two of them are living today, but they are not known as his children as they go by other names. Though the matter is highly speculative, these three mentioned children may be Josephine L. Fisher, Zebulon Jacobs, and Mary Leitner's own son, George Algernon. Oliver Buell, son of Prescindia. Huntington Buell is also considered by some to be a possible son of Joseph Smith.
1: So now we have several mentioned, yeah. uh, and here she says I, that she knew he had three children, yeah. okay? Now, remember, Joseph Smith was married to 11 women who had living husbands, and those women were living with those husbands, so it'd be very easy for him to have a baby by one of those women, and yeah, no. No, they didn't have <laughs> DNA testing in those days. Right. Another polyandrous and polygamist wife of Joseph Smith also testified about him having children. Yeah,
0: you know, this is faithful Mormon Prescindia D. Huntington, who was Norm- Norman Buell's wife and simultaneously a plural wife of the prophet Joseph Smith, said that she did not know whether her husband Norman or the prophet was the son of was the father of her son Oliver and at a glance at a photo of Oliver shows a strong resemblance to Emma Smith's boys. (laughs) Wow.
1: (laughs) So we have some more testimony here from the people who lived then that he possibly had children. Researchers have tentatively identified eight children that Joseph Smith may have had by his plural wives, and we will put the names of those children on the screen.
0: Let Let me read those. Oliver Buell... John R. Hancock, George A. Leitner, Orson W. Hyde, Josephine Fisher, Frank H Hyde, Moroni Pratt and Zebulon Jacobs and born born in between 1840 and 1842.
1: Uh, and well there's a couple of them there in 1844 and one um, in January oh, of 1845. Oh okay I'm sorry. You're but right, absolutely. he was killed in June of 1844. Yeah. But these children were born were born after he was killed but within 9 months. of, of him having yeah. been killed so they still could have been his children. Um, but anyway, that gives you something to think about. Maybe you can do your own research yeah. on it yourself, but that might help answer some questions we've had about it. Okay, we have on line two Jody calling from Tooele. Jody? Yes? You're on the air, Jody. Hi, Doris. I,
3: I just want to say that I love your show. I've been watching you for a couple of years, and I think it's wonderful. Thank you. Um, I actually came out of a, a polygamy family Well, my dad's and everything and oh you did because I had a comment on the last caller about why they don't believe that um, the Trinity and God is Jesus and I remember having a debate with my mom a few years back like five years ago and she said that they don't understand how he could be the same person if he prayed why would he pray to himself in the garden and on the cross, like, why would he pray to himself? That's like their biggest
1: hang up. I've, yes. I've come to understand that. That's that. a big one, uh huh. Um, is, that, is that still a question you can't answer?
3: Yeah, no, I just, yeah, it's, it's just, it's always, like, I've always thought about it, you know, that, that question, like, why would mm-hmm. he pray to himself? But that's like, yeah, no, he didn't pray to. Up, and I just wanted to uh, comment on yeah, that. Yeah, Jody,
1: <laughs> Jesus didn't pray to himself. Um, if the Trinity yeah, is he, the Trinity yeah, he is to God the Father one God when he
3: was on the cross, you know, right. he, prayed, you know he prayed to him in this garden and but it's like if God is Jesus how would he pray to himself like, you know what I mean like, I do know what that's, you like mean the Mormon's biggest hang yeah. as far as believing in the Trinity right
1: Jody uh, and he didn't pray to himself uh, there there's one God one God and in the one God there are three persons each one equally God. So Jesus was praying to God the Father. He himself was equal with God the Father, but he was, wasn't praying to himself. He was polite praying to God the Father.
3: Yeah, but, yeah, but, it, yeah, okay, that, that, that part just kind of always confused me, but, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I accept it. You know, I've been a follower of Jesus Christ for about eight years now. Mm-hmm,
1: good. Oh, well, you know, Jody, if you came from a polygamy group, I'd love to talk to you. Would you leave the operator your phone number, and I'd love to call you and talk with you? Yeah, for sure. Okay, (laughs) Okay. don't hang up when we say goodbye and let the operator pick up the phone and just leave her your number. Okay, yeah, that'd be great. Okay, thank you for calling, appreciate it. Thank you. Uh
0: That is one of the toughest concepts, especially for probably polygamists and Mormons coming into Christianity is the the Trinity. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just interesting that um, when, when you start considering who God is and that God in the flesh is Jesus Christ, I, th- I think it helps um, help you to understand that He is just God in the flesh, and, mm-hmm. and uh, that Jesus Christ is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and there's yeah, God Yeah, it says the, it, the,
1: the deity, yeah. was uh, dwelt in Jesus in bodily form. Yeah. So Jesus be well, yeah. God became flesh in Jesus. And
0: Paul said great is the mystery of godliness. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. not for our finite minds to fully comprehend. Well,
1: and how can we it, how can we claim to fully understand God anyway? That's rather yeah. arrogant to that's, say I have to understand God or I won't believe him.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because he's Good our point. creator.
1: He created yeah. us. How can we how can we know his mind? Okay, we have Line three, I don't see line three light on. No, it's not on. Okay, so line three, Larry from Salt Lake, I don't know what happened to him, but <laughs> he's, he isn't there at any rate. Uh, that was a question that, that I have had a lot of people ask sure, me. It, yeah. it, it is a big one. And I don't pretend to fully understand the Trinity. However, I have a better grasp of it now than I ever did, yeah. um, as certainly in the, in the polygamy group.
0: Well, the one thing that, too, is, first of all, that the fact that God is, is so awesome <laughs> and so, all powerful and almighty, and um, is really cu- cu- is over everything, uh-huh. and we don't in Mormonism, and I don't know about polygamy, we don't appreciate that vastness of God, how
2: big he how is, how big he is,
0: and how how wonderful he is, because we've placed him in. Uh, a man's body.
1: Mm-hmm. As, as merely a man. Yeah, uh,
0: like we've changed the corruptible, uh, changed the incorruptible God into a cor- image of corruptible man. Mm-hmm. And so we, we kind of... It answers the questions easily, in Mormonism at least, maybe polygamy, about this God and being a man and was once a man, but it isn't the God of the Bible.
1: Right, it's not.
0: And it's hard, it's challenging to comprehend, but when you start trusting in that, it's so joyful. Well, and
1: the more that you get in the Bible and read it and compare verses with verses and things that he, who he is and what he's done, then it's... And he really is somebody to worship. Oh, absolutely. When he's that grand. Right.
0: And And we we don't
1: worship men and God's not a man man we worship God that's right okay very quickly it looks like we have Larry uh, back on the line uh, Larry oh, uh-huh. yeah you're on the air you only have a short time so what okay, is your question it quick. okay what's your question
4: hello yes this is uh, Larry and I'd like to know if in the beginning if uh, Adam was the first man and was Lilith the first woman have you got there anything on that
1: if Adam was the first man and what
4: Lilith. lilith no was the first woman
1: no eve was the first woman not lilith lilith's not in the bible
4: because that's been brought out through people that have searched uh
1: well they're we're, they're reading books that's not uh, that's extra biblical books that have actually no um no proof text, no proof manuscripts or anything to
4: um, oh, because he said he, he created man and woman, and that was Lilith. And then Lilith was taken out, and then he took a rib and made made Eve. But you don't know <laughs> anything on like that. Then.
1: No, well, that isn't true. But the Bible says he made Adam, and then he made Eve from Adam. And then from there, Adam and Eve children. He said
4: he made man and woman. Then later, he took a rib from Adam and made Eve.
1: That's not what the Bible, you can read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and you can you can read the story of creation there, and Lilith is not okay. part of it.
4: Lilith well, doesn't come in. Okay. No. And Dan, I was wondering, since you don't believe in church much, where do you guys go on Sunday?
1: Well, we do believe in church. We just don't believe in the one true, true church
4: of this culture. Oh, uh, we, you know, I mean, we, any church. We go, church go, we go
1: to? to Christian churches uh, that believe okay. in what Jesus there, and the cross. I kind of main
4: wanted to know where he went since he was a Mormon.
0: Mm-hmm. I go to various churches I, I, here in the valley. I've been to a number of them: K two and Campus and okay. Center Point, uh, Capital, and uh, s- several. I'm always looking for people who were former Mormons so I can interview them. So I'm always okay. looking.
4: Well, <laughs> so you kind of just go to whatever in your family goes with you, and and you enjoy whatever okay. church you go to. Yes, we
1: need to go. Yeah. Thank you, Larry, for calling. Okay. Right. thank you, I hope you very much. You answered your question. I- Bye. Okay, well, thank you, Earl, and we had a good discussion, and for our telephone callers, we appreciate you. Uh, Does does your religion, when you go to church, make you feel unworthy? Does it pressure you to make better performance and perfection according to the guidelines and their ordinances? Well, the biblical gospel is called Good News, and it is that Jesus Christ did all the necessary work for eternal life on the cross 2,000 years ago, where he said, it is finished. Only Jesus reached human perfection. Embracing Mormon doctrine produces a deep sense of guilt, entrapment, misplaced obligation, and fear. In fact, God commands us to completely give up on trying to be worthy, but instead to accept His gift of righteousness, which He gives to all who will trust in 0% our performance and 100% His grace. Grace is not that we do all we can do, and He does the rest. God is not that, that... Grace is not that God helps us as we struggle to keep His commandments. Grace is that He does it all for us, and we give up working for it and fully trust in Him. Grace is that God credits us with Jesus Christ's obedience to all the commandments. It is not what we do, but what Jesus Christ has already done. And God offers complete forgiveness to everyone who will repent His way, and give up trying to earn it through their own works. Eternal life is a gift from God, but a gift given is not a gift until it's received. And we pray as we do this show and as people listen about works and grace, that you will receive His gift of grace, mercy, worthiness, and righteousness, and give up entirely on the idea of works to earn eternal life. Thanks for watching, and good night.